Well, all right. We're going to be in John chapter 7, verse 53, down through chapter 8, verse 11 this morning. This is a famous story, uh, the story of a woman caught in adultery and uh, what happened in that situation. Uh, if you have a, a modern translation of the Bible, you're going to see that a lot of times you're going to see up in brackets a little note, um, like in the ESV study Bible, it says at the top of mine, the earliest manuscripts do not include 753 to 811. And that is true. Uh, it shows up in only one of the major early manuscripts in this spot. Um, but it shows up in other places and other manuscripts from the, from the New Testament. And, and so scholars are not sure exactly, exactly where this story belongs in the Bible. Um, or some even if it belongs in the Bible. Uh, but based on my study of the issues involved, I think that it is part of the scripture. And it is something that we need to consider and look at. If one day I'm proven wrong, you, know, you can take that up with me at that point. But, uh, and if you're really interested in these issues, you know, I've got some good reading I can give you on it. But, but nonetheless, I do think this, this story is part of God's Word and has some things for us to consider and to learn. And so I want to get into it with you. Now let's look at the Scripture and what it says here. They each went to their own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Let's pray. Father, we, we're about to approach this story, and I think you have a lot that you want to say to us in it. I pray that your spirit might speak to your people through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think this is an amazing story. Can you just imagine this scene? You know, Jesus is there. It's just after the Feast of Booths has ended. He, Jesus goes up again to the temple. And he goes from the temple to the Mount of Olives where he spent the night. He goes up again in the morning. And as was customary in those days when a rabbi would teach, he would sit down. And all the people listening would sit down around him. And people are coming to him and listen, to listen as he continues to teach. And I think the crowd had gathered fairly quickly. 
Because if you look back previous day, what has happened is Jesus had said, he stood up on the great day of the feast and said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of him will flow rivers of living water. And there's a bunch of thirsty people. And they've gathered to listen to Jesus teach. And they've responded, and they want to find out more about this eternal life Jesus is talking about. And suddenly, in the middle of all this happening, there's a commotion. And the scribes and the Pharisees are coming. And the scribes were the guys who wrote down the Old Testament law. And in the process of hand copying the scriptures, uh, they became experts in it and what it said and what it required. And they were regarded as, as, as the, the great scholars of the Old Testament law. And along with them are some of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are a very strict sect of religious Jews, uh, and their understanding of the law and its commandments formed the basis for Orthodox Judaism from their day up to the present time. If you are an Orthodox Jew today, you are practicing, in a sense, Pharisaic Judaism down to the present day. And the point is, is, is that these guys are the guys who know what the Bible says. These are not a bunch of people who have no understanding of the Scriptures. These are the people who take the Bible seriously and who try to live by it. These are religious people. These are, if you'll forgive me the phrase, the fundamentalists of their day, the people who stuck to the fundamentals of the faith. And at least on the outside, these are the guys who are most concerned with obeying what the Scripture says. And in the middle of this group of scribes and Pharisees, we don't know how many there are, but a little knot of them, and in the middle of them, there's a woman. And the text says that the woman had been caught in adultery. And I don't know how she looked, but apparently her kind of sin was evident even as she was brought up before Jesus. And so my guess is, is that she is probably distraught and disheveled as she is being drugged along by this group of hostile men. I hope that they at least allowed her to wrap up in something as she is brought before Jesus. But that may be editing on my part of the story. Based on what we see of this sort of thing in the Middle East today, it's possible they have brought her naked into the temple in front of Jesus. I don't think they're have even allowed her to wrap in a sheet. And this woman is with them, and there is no doubt that this woman has done something shameful, and they are publicly shaming her for it. They want witnesses to all of her sin. They interrupt Jesus' teaching, and they thrust this woman into Jesus' presence, and they say, Teacher... This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. 
Now Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Before we get to Jesus' response, let me ask you, do you think that's an honest question? I think it's safe to say no. I don't think these guys are all that interested, honestly, in Jesus' answer, except insofar as they can use it to set a trap for him to discredit Jesus and his teaching. Remember, Jesus has just made this dramatic announcement that those who come to him could have eternal life. And these are the guys who reject Jesus and his ministry and everything that he teaches and says, but they haven't been able to find a way to discredit him yet, and so we've got it. Got this woman. And we'll discredit him. Verse 6 tells us it's a trap. It's very similar, by the way, to the trap that these same kind of guys, I don't know if it's these identical fellows or not, but the same kind of guys set for Jesus with reference to paying taxes to Caesar, remember? They, he says, they, they, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, Karen and I were working on our taxes yesterday, and I really wish Jesus had said no. <laughs> okay. You don't have to pay your taxes if you follow Jesus. <laughs> okay. I would really like that excuse. I'm going to write a letter to my representative. <laughs> but anyway, it, the, the trap in that question to Jesus is this. If Jesus says no, then now he's a rebel against Rome. If Jesus says yes then he has aligned himself with the oppressor. And he has said, no, no, you've got to pay your taxes. And now all of a sudden Jesus is discredited with the people who hate the Romans. Well, this is the same kind of a setup deal. Because if Jesus says, no, you should not stone this woman out of compassion... Then he's, in, uh, he's telling people not to obey the law. And he's discredited. If, on the other hand, he says, fire away, boys, get the rocks. Then he's telling Jewish people to do what the Romans told them they couldn't do, which was put people to death. Either way, he's on the horns of the dilemma. And by the way, you need to understand, this law was widely disregarded it was unpopular nobody wanted to stone someone to death nobody liked it there there it was in the mosaic law that people who commit adultery should be put to death and so either way they're thinking we've got this guy discredited and either way we're going to have him come out as a false teacher and beyond that, I think this woman is obviously the victim of a setup. Because how do you catch someone in the act of adultery? Adultery tends to be the kind of thing that you, make, you, you take some extra steps to ensure that you will not be caught doing, right? You, you, this is the sort of thing that you get practiced in your deceit and you're lying to people, and then you, you figure out a way not to get caught doing it, right? 
So how does, how does she get caught? And by the way, where's the guy? Adultery is not the kind of thing that you can, you, like, you go sin in splendid isolation, right? <laughs> this is not that kind of sin. There's two to tango, as, as they say, right? So where's he? Well, he's nowhere. The law commanded death for both participants, not just the woman. And so here's what I think is going on. This is my theory, okay? Either these guys, these supposed experts in the law, think that only women can commit adultery and therefore we're excusing the guy. Which, by the way, if you go to the Middle East today, the penalties for sexual sin typically only fall on women, not on men. So that may be what's going on. Or it may be that this guy is somebody that they know and this is a setup. And they go, you know, we need, to, we need somebody to go see a prostitute or a woman who's willing to commit adultery so that we can catch her, so that we can follow up on Jesus. Because we're going to need a time and a place and a person that we can catch doing this in order to discredit Jesus. So I think this is all a setup. They want to break in and they want to find and shame this woman and discredit Jesus and what he's saying. You feel the tension though? That question that they've asked? What do you say, Jesus? It's hanging right there in the air. So how does Jesus respond? He had stood up when everybody came in, stopped teaching, stood up, and now he squats down and he starts writing on the ground. Now that is the weirdest response in the world. He doesn't answer their question. He stoops down and he writes on the ground. What did he write? We don't know. We don't know. Early church tradition from the first several centuries uh, held that Jesus wrote Jeremiah 17, 13. I know all of you know what that says, but I'll, I'll read it to you anyway. It says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all those who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust. For they have forsaken the Lord the fountain of living water. Now, isn't that interesting? Remember what Jesus said he was the day before? The source of living water. Now he's writing in the dirt. And if he did write this verse, we don't know that he did, but if that's what he wrote, isn't that interesting? Those who have forsaken you, the fountain of living water, the law said, he stands up and he says, after that, he, after he writes whatever it is he writes, he stands up and he says, let, tho let, you know, let those who are without sin, let him who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now let me clarify what that means. The law said that in order to put someone to death, that first of all, that particular crime had to be witnessed by two or three people. You had to have seen it happen. And you as a person could not be guilty of it yourself. 
So in other words, you couldn't be a participant in that kind of crime. So, for example, you know, well, how do you know that he was stealing? Well, because I was helping him load the TV into the back of the van. <laughs> right? You couldn't, you couldn't be guilty of it yourself and carry out the punishment. And so these men could only stone her if they had both seen her sin and were also not guilty of adultery. And then Jesus does something interesting. He squats down again, and he starts riding in the dirt. And again, we don't know what he wrote. I would really like to know. I've heard some suggest that right below that verse from Jeremiah, he started writing these guys' names. And if that's what he did, he would be denouncing all these men who were standing there in the crowd, this mob around this woman, as being guilty of turning away from the Lord, and then literally he's writing their names in the dust in fulfillment of Jeremiah. Is that what he did? I don't know, but I like that idea. <laughs> it sounds like poetic justice to me. Right? What we do know is that one by one, starting with the older ones and then ending with the younger ones, all the accusers depart and they leave Jesus alone with the woman. And those, what's happened is interesting. There's been a reversal of circumstances that those who sought to bring shame to someone else have themselves been publicly shamed. And I think, the text doesn't tell us this, but I think what's happened here is that they finally realized that from God's perspective, they are just as much sinners deserving death as this woman whom they've accused. But as far as we know, they don't repent. They just depart. And only after everybody has left does Jesus then turn and speak to the woman. He begins by asking her a question. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she answers back. And her answer is interesting. Look at your Bible. She said, no one, Lord. No one, Lord. The word there, Lord there, you could translate it a couple of different ways, but that is the normal way in the New Testament that that word is translated as Lord, referring to Jesus as Lord and God. I think in light of Jesus' response, I think it's likely that this woman has all of a sudden come to realize in watching what happens and how Jesus deals with the guys who want to condemn her literally to death, who he is. That he is Lord of her life and she's been transformed and her shame is gone. And in a moment, Jesus grants forgiveness. And it's beautiful. See what he says? Neither do I 
condemn you. You know what that is? That's forgiveness. That's grace. By the way, who can tell people their sins are forgiven? God alone. Make the connection. It's there. It's there to be made. And in response to her recognition as Lord, he not only sets her free from the death penalty and gives her mercy instead, he also, and this is also beautiful, he calls her to live out the new life that followers of his are expected to live. What does he say? Go, and from now on, sin no more. I think this is a rich, rich story. I love this story. It's full of images that proclaim to us the gospel of God's grace to us. Before we met Jesus, we were caught in sin. We were thinking and doing and saying the very things that God's just decree tells us deserve death. Amen? We were guilty, every single one of us. And... In fact, the the scripture says in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our sins already. In other words, the things we had done had already, in a sense, put us to death before God. Whenever we thought of God, we would have been ashamed to meet him because our great accuser drags us into his presence and says, see what they've done? They're the people who have been caught in the very act of rebelling against you. And we, if we came before the Lord at that moment, we've come with all of our shame and guilt. But here's what's amazing. And we sing the song, Amazing Grace. I don't know what's so amazing about it. Here's what it is. While we stand there before the Lord, wrapped in the emblems of our rebellion against Him, at that very moment, Jesus dismisses the accuser. And he calls us to live a new life freed from the corruption and rebellion of the old one. You know who we are? We're the woman. Every person who meets Jesus is this woman who has come before Jesus clothed in sin and shame and finds forgiveness and the invitation to new life as a result. Finds our accuser dismissed. And there's a beautiful balance in this story. Because on the one hand, there's God's gospel call. We hear, neither do I condemn you. If you come to Jesus and you acknowledge him as Lord, you will hear, neither do I condemn you. Because Jesus, in his power as God in his mercy at the cross in his resurrection from the dead cancels out the death penalty for you and so he can say to us neither do I condemn you in fact Romans 8 1 one of my favorite verses says this there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus that is God's promise to you and me that in spite of everything we've done, 
And I can tell you that there have been many things I have thought and said and done that if they took form would bury me in shame. And Jesus proclaims over every single one, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why not? Because the only one who could demand our death, the only one who had not been a participant in sin, says to us that our punishment has been set aside by his grace and mercy through his cross and resurrection. And then... Those he has forgiven. Those whose condemnation he has wiped away, he invites to live a new life. Go and sin no more. And he empowers our obedience by giving us the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? That's our God. That's our God who does that. For everyone who recognizes him as Lord... not condemned, sent out to live a new life. To turn away from the old man that Christ put to death at the cross and live as new men and new women by his enabling spirit. That's what this story is about. It's about this woman who is a picture of you and me as we come before the Lord. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that as the psalmist said, blessed is the one whose sins are covered, whose transgressions the Lord does not count against him. And Father, we are those people. We are the blessed ones whose sins are covered, whose, whose transgressions have been blotted out, not because of good things that we did that somehow outweighed them but because Jesus blood covers every single one and there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus father I pray that if there's anyone here in this room who has never known that the joy of having your sins and the penalty for them canceled out by the grace and mercy of God, I pray that today would be that day that they would leave their shame and guilt at the foot of the cross and receive instead forgiveness and joy. And Father, I pray that we who are your people out of just gratitude and thankfulness and frankly amazement at what Christ has done for us would live the new life to which you call us, that we might pursue Christ and that the love we have for him would so overwhelm the love we have for sin that it would drown it in the ocean of your mercy. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.